All right, turn in your Bibles to Revelation 1.7. I was going to move on from this, this verse. Um, uh, however, I've just really felt convicted uh, by God to continue speaking on this particular verse because to Jesus, um, to the second coming of Christ, his return is, is a paramount and significant thing. To Jesus, He spoke about it constantly. The disciples spoke about it constantly through the New Testament, as I'm going to show you. And uh, I think we're living in times where this is really important, that we get it in our heart and we build the blessed hope in our heart of the second coming of Christ Make, and, and let it really affect us and change us and into the people that we're meant to be in Christ. Who's with me on that? All right, so Revelation 1.7. And uh, I'll just read it and then we'll quickly pray. But Revelation 1.7. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him and so shall it be. Do you know, I think there's 50 maybe 50 scriptures in the Bible, in the New Testament alone that speak of the second coming of Christ. It, it is so evident in scripture that Jesus is going to return. A lot of people don't think Jesus is going to return. A lot of atheists think he's still in the grave. You know, a lot of Christians have no concept that Jesus is going to return. They don't, they don't actually, it doesn't affect them anymore. But then, yet it was the most significant thing that was getting spoken of constantly in the New Testament. It was the essence of the New Testament, was the hope of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And in the last 20 years, we've seen a real decline in, in, in this message being preached in churches. It's like they've just about given up that Jesus is going to return. Given up on that hope. Let's preach about prosperity instead. Let's preach about living the best life now. You know what I mean? But man, Jesus is returning and we've we, we got to change who we are. We've got to let Jesus change us inside and become the people that he expects us to be when he arrives we want to be rejoicing we don't want to be mourning with those who mourn because it says here in this verse it says and all the peoples of the earth all except excluding because the true church is not supposed to be people of the earth they're supposed to be people of heaven right so all the peoples of the earth if your heart's on earthly things, if your heart's on worldly things, if Jesus is the last thing in your thoughts every single day, then you're of the earth and you will mourn. It says it in the scriptures that you will mourn when Jesus returns. So that, let Jesus not find you like that. Let Jesus find you worshipping. Let Jesus find you praising him and giving him glory on a daily basis. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? That's what Jesus said. It's a question for us to answer in ourselves. Let us be faithful. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, I just pray right now that you help me to speak the right words that are of the Spirit, that will be the right words for every single person here, that will impact their hearts and transform them and, and, and help them to uh, become the Christians that you intended them for them to be lord i pray this in your wonderful name and i i i just pray that uh not one word that comes out of my mouth today will be not of you that the spirit will speak and have reign in me and so i hand this message over to you in the precious name of jesus
Amen. Amen. All right. Now, who's heard of the imminent return? Who's heard of the doctrine of imminency? Anyone? In, in what lights it normally spoken of in most churches these days? It could happen at any time. Who's heard that? Yeah? Who's been in the churches? Where, oh, Jesus could return any moment. He could return today. Yeah? Always hear that? Is that scriptural? Firstly, why do they preach that? Why do 90% of churches preach that? Is it scriptural? Jesus can't just return at any time. And, I'll tell you, and, and Scripture declares that. I only know this because Scripture says it. This is not Rob's opinion. This is what Scripture declares. So that doctrine of imminency, I believe in the imminent return of Christ. However, there are conditions attached to his imminent return. And we've got to be found watching for that return. Oh, Lena, the children's church need you. Sorry. <laughs> Over there. Oh, that way. All right. So the teachings of the doctrine of imminency, which no one knows the time of Christ's return. He may come at any moment, and it is possible that he might even come today. All right, that's, that's their teaching. I, I just I don't agree with it. I used to believe it. Because when you don't actually research any further, if you just assume that what your pastor is preaching is the truth, you just go, okay, yeah, well, that must be the truth because he's a pastor and he, he reads the Bible. I read the Bible, but he's a pastor. He reads the Bible better than me. <laughs> you know, how many of you know that you can read the Bible better than me? <laughs> Try to, please, become a better Bible reader than me. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, let's go to that. Now, have a look at the way I... Quote scripture, 1, 4, 13 through 2, 5, 6. We don't just pull one little scripture out and say, let's build a doctrine around that one scripture. Let's get it into context and then let's get another four or five together with it and let's see what it truly says and create the doctrine from, from compiling everything together. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. Okay, it says this, brothers... We do not want you to be ignorant. So we're not supposed to be ignorant. No one knows the times. Well, hang on. It says don't be ignorant. The Bible has given some specific uh, events that must take place before Jesus can return. So these things must take place. And, the, the, and these things that must take place before he returns has not yet taken place. So Jesus cannot return today. There's certain things that must happen Tell me, has the battle of Armageddon begun? When does Jesus return? After the battle or during. Actually, comes in and finishes it. By the breath of his mouth and the sword, of the sword, sword from his mouth. And just by his, the glory of his appearing, he vanquishes his enemy. You know? So, Jesus can't return until the battle of Armageddon is underway. And it is not underway. Okay? So 4.13, and it says this. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Don't grieve like those that have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring, us, uh, bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So everyone who's fallen asleep in Christ as Christians, when, when Jesus returns, they're coming with him. So for all the thousands of years of Earth's history, the 6,000 years of Earth's history, all of those who have fallen asleep in Christ will come with him and they will be behind him 
on his return. According to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will... Uh, sorry. Yeah, that's right. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Is it going to be a secret, quiet rapture that no one knows about? Suddenly everyone just disappears and it's like, you know, like the movie um, Not Taken, what's the one? Left Behind. They just all disappear and it's like, where did, that, where did my baby go? She was in the back seat. She's gone. You know, where did all those people go? Planes falling out of the air because the pilots were raptured. It's not going to be like that. When Jesus returns, everyone's going to know. It says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, and every eye will see him with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. There'll be trumpets going off. It's going to be a noisy event. It's probably going to be the noisiest thing you've ever heard in your life. And it's going to, everyone's going to know about it. And it's not going to be because it's on TV. It's because we'll all know about it. You know what I mean? It'll, it'll go off. It'll be going off. After that, we who are still alive and are left with, will be caught up with them in the clouds. So at that time, at the coming of Jesus Christ, we will be caught up, any one of us who are left alive until that time, and we'll, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. And we'll continue. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, that is a pretty big statement that gets mis taken out of context and misinterpreted. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. Who's he talking about? He's talking about unbelievers. While they're talking about having peace and safety under the new world order system and all this sort of stuff, uh, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, listen to this, but you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. It shouldn't surprise us like a thief. To those that are awake, to those that are following Christ with their heart and are watching for his return, it's not going to be an imminent thing that no one knows about and we're not prepared for. He's going to prepare his people. Actually, the Lord does nothing before he tells his prophets. He tells his prophets what he's about to do, and then he does them after that. Now, there's prophets and there's false prophets, but just because people are out there, there's false prophets out there, doesn't mean there's true prophets as well. There are, there are signs of the times, and there are things that God has led certain people in the world to understand ahead of time. And as it is... Uh, 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 from our perspective, it's wisdom for us to search out those things and to honor prophets. You know, you'll get a prophet's reward, won't you? If you honor a prophet, you'll get a prophet's reward. So if you honor someone who can see, see um, hears things from God and tells you about things about the future. Now, there has been certain things I've read. Andy sent me some stuff through of a man who's spoken of something that is currently taking place and things that have taken place over the last eight years. And he spoke about them like 10 years ago, wasn't it? 2001. And he, he spoke of 2015 that Greece will collapse economically. And he actually gave the date. And here we are, 2015, and Greece is crumbling. So this man is someone you should take seriously when you, you get things given right down to the day. 
if anyone's interested, ask me later and I'll forward you the, um, the uh, prophecy in that, he's, that he wrote. So, now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly like labor pains from a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. You do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Let's remember that. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. All right, Mark thirteen twenty-eight. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that the summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. Now if you go back through Mark 13, you get all the signs of the times. Tell me, has the fig leaf sprouted in these times that we live in? Who believes the fig leaf is sprouting right now? Anyone? I do. I think the signs are very, very evident from what I'm looking at. As you read through Mark 13, everything he lists here is happening. And he says it will be like contractions, birth pains that increase and increase and increase as the days roll by. And it's getting more and more frequent. Every day we're hearing of more and more natural disasters, more and more wars, more and more horrific things taking place. It's increasing like contractions in pregnancy. And the closer the baby is to being born, the more frequent the contractions until they're coming every, every moment until the baby comes out. 13.35. It's just a little bit further. Mark 13.35 to 37. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back. Keep watch. This is the time to keep watch. This is the time to really start thinking about God. Really start thinking about Jesus. Because you know what? We don't know how much more time we have. We, we seriously don't, you know. Um, just like uh, Dave was just saying about your friend. Is it your friends that they've just lost their daughter? That girl would never in her wildest dreams have imagined that right now she'd be in the death realm. She died in a car accident. What day was that? Friday. She's alive, got a big future ahead of her. And she, next thing she knows, she's entering into the death realm. And if she didn't know Jesus, you know, we know where she goes. But if she does know Jesus, praise God. So just make sure that Jesus is the biggest part of your life. And as I've said so many times, and, and the scriptures I'm going to come, come up with today always talk, uh, talk about this is our, the most important thing uh, that in your life, and this is how you can gauge what is the most important thing in your life, the, the biggest thing that's going to take place to us personally, each and every single one of us, is one day the Bible tells us that we're going to stand before God at judgment. And there we're going to be standing before God and, and Jesus is going to be, be looking at us and it's going to be our turn to be judged. And at that moment, you're going to realize that every little thing that you did that had nothing to do with this moment was worthless. Every single thing you did in your life that had no, no bearing on a better judgment is worthless. 
That should be where we focus all our attention all the time. Everything should be centered around that and focused on drawing to that moment when we stand before God. Because if you fail that moment, you've lost forever. But if you get past that moment, you go into a, an eternal state with Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. And it's the most beautiful, beautiful thing you could ever enter into. This pales. This will seem so unreal. The whole worldly realm that we live in is going to be like nothing compared to that moment. When you enter into heaven, you know, if you could look back and you... you you know, you would think, man, why didn't I put all my attention on heavenly things? Why wasn't my heart focused on Jesus Christ my whole life? You know, why didn't I just talk to others so that my friends could be here with me too? Why am I the only one of all my friends that is here? Because I didn't bother to tell them about Jesus. I kept Jesus private. You know, it's all about the judgment. In the end, it's all about the judgment. It all comes down to that one moment. How are you going to fare when you stand before Jesus Christ when he returns and judgment comes upon us? So live with your eyes on the judgment seat. That's how Leonard Ravenhill put it. He said, had another way, live with one eye on eternity, meaning you only get into eternity if you pass the judgment. Amen? For those who stay awake and watch, his return will not be imminent or unexpected. The imminency is referring to those who are not watching and to unbelievers. Imminency refers to those that don't watch. It's going to be a, a very frightening time. And I'll, if we have a quick look at this, Revelation 16, 12. Now, about the timing of his imminent return, this is what this is all about. 16, 12. We'll just put it in context. Right, before I read this, and I've said this a few times to at least us, some of, some of you privately, and I think I might have said it once before in church, um, whether you're a pre-tribulational rapturist, a mid-tribulational rapturist, or a post-tribulational rapturist, believing it's one of those times, every one of them will agree that the seven bowls of God's wrath are the final seven bowls, uh, final seven tribulations on earth. Who knows what I'm saying is true, right? Anyone who studied this? We all agree that the seven bowls of God's wrath. Some people believe the seven trumpets are seven, seven uh, judgments before the seven bowls begin. Chuck Missler teaches that, as does many others. And some believe there's seven seals and the seven trumpets and then the seven bowls. It goes, and so there's 21 judgments according to them, right? I believe they're all one and the same. I believe there's only seven. I believe the seven trumpets and the seven bowls line up nearly identically, and I can point that out to you privately if you want to hear it. And there's a sermon I've done online. Uh, and the seven seals are the same judgments, just through a different perspective. Um, but anyway, the seven bowls of God's wrath, everyone agrees, is definitely the last seven. And have a read from here. It's at Revelation 16:12, And it says, The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. And this, these are the kings that are going to come and cause the battle of Armageddon. Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon. So there's demonic entities coming out. And out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So these, these, the uh, dragon, the beast, 
and the false prophet had these terrible-looking evil spirits coming out of them. They are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs. And listen to this. They go out to the kings of the whole world, so the leaders of every nation, to gather them for the battle of the great day of God Almighty. So they're going out to gather all the kings and lead them astray to deceive them. And then read this. Behold, I come like a thief. There it is. So it's the sixth bowl of God's wrath and Jesus is then there, there and then saying, Behold, I come like a thief. His imminent return is not imminent any meaning any moment. It still hasn't occurred and it's at the sixth bowl, right at the end of the tribulation, the great tribulation. Right at the end. And he still hasn't returned. He says, I'm going to come. And then we know from scriptures it says he returns to vanquish his enemies on the bat- during the Battle of Armageddon and this is what is unleashed at the sixth bowl is the Battle of Armageddon. And then it says, So behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake. Here we are again, stay awake. And keeps his clothes with him. Meaning, you know, keep oil in your lamps. Keep filled with the Spirit. Keep switched on for Jesus Christ. Don't fall asleep. Don't let Jesus Christ get to the back seat of your car. Let him drive it. <laughs> Some people put him in the boot. Some people kick him out altogether and leave him on the side of the road and drive off. You know what I mean? Put Jesus first. Put him in the driver's seat. Amen? Stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go sh- naked and shamefully exposed. Because I tell you, when Jesus comes back, if you don't have Jesus, you will be naked and shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. And I won't read any further, but then I'm, there's some scriptures I will be reading which talks about he comes to the battle of Armageddon, destroys the kings and all the men with him with the breath of his mouth. And that's when he comes with the angels of heaven behind him and all those who have fallen asleep behind him and everyone that's alive on the earth will be raptured up to be with him and so they'll be with him forever there's the timing it's after the sixth bowl of god's wrath which is the final part of the tribulation and that's not the only scripture that points it out there's many other scriptures that point out and give us the timing of of the rapture very clearly so 1 thessalonians 2 19 let's quickly turn there now i'm going to try to read these scriptures fairly quick if possible if god lets me On Thessalonians 2, 19 to 20, and it says, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? So what's your hope? What's your joy? What's the crown in which you will glory? So who wants to glory when Jesus returns and have a crown so that when he comes you can be one of those that will welcome him with open arms and not be ashamed? Who wants to not be ashamed at that time? I don't want to be ashamed. When he comes, is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. But he's saying the church itself. The church is meant to be the glory. So as a pastor, God told me, uh, well, God. when I say God told me, I said through my research, through the whole combined understanding of what my ministry is, God's made it clear to me that I must prepare his people for his coming. Prepare his people for, to go through end time scenarios. 
because the people are not ready at all. And, and I had this very, very strong sense of my, my ministry uh, years ago that I had to do a work where I could prepare people, in a, get them in a state of mind and, a, and an attitude like that of the early church so that in the, in the face of huge opposition, they'll stay strong, they'll hold to the faith, they'll not recant, and they will win the race. You know what I'm saying? And I've always believed that's, that's, the, that's the key to my ministry, is that. So um, keep that in mind, because that's what I, I want to make sure that, you know, everyone that ever sits under our ministry, if they continue to come, if they continue to be members, they'll get, uh, they'll get the most solid teaching uh, that I could possibly give them scripturally, and they'll be prepared, and they'll get their faith built, they'll get encouraged and lifted to a point where they just... You, you guys will be so solid that you just will not recant no matter what happens to you. you know? and, if you and as I've said many times, read Fox's Book of Martyrs if you want an understanding of, of the kinds of Christians that went before us. So if you call yourself a Christian and you want to be counted among the multitudes of Christians that have gone before us and have their names written in heaven, then read about those guys. And these are heroes of the faith. We have some incredible accounts. And, you know, it wasn't until I started reading biographies about certain men of God that I, I got an appreciation for just how amazing these Christians were. You know, we have, I was, I was talking to Elizabeth, or just very briefly, about Smith Wigglesworth. You know, he's a hero of the faith. He's a powerful man of God. And there's so many great men like Smith that have gone before us. Then there's the, the martyrs that have gone before us, men that have stood against the, such intense opposition and put through the most extreme tortures and they never recanted of their faith. And when I read about that, it, it just blows my mind. I'm thinking, wow. You know, we, we're such a watered-down lot in, in, in the West. Our, our Christianity is, is flimsy. We don't really understand what Christianity is. But these people in these countries right now where they're suffering tremendous persecution, who knows about this? Anyone following the news, seeing what's happened with the ISIS? And, and you just think, wow, you know, if that was me, what would happen? That's how my mind works. I just think, if I was in that same situation, and I, like I just did, who got my email about a, a couple that had their house surrounded um, by about 500 Muslims? Yeah, who, who received that? Where was that? Was that in Pakistan? About 500 Muslims, they, they made these false charges against them that these, this couple, and a most beautiful couple, burnt a Quran. So 500 Muslims gathered around the house and started shouting all these things at them and smashed in the door, grabbed them, dragged them off, hooked them up to the back of a truck or something, drove them around and beat them senseless and ended up throwing them on top of this big fiery pit sort of thing and just killed them. I'm thinking, wow, this happened, just happened. It just happened to our brothers and sisters. And we're so separated here. We're, we're here in little old Adelaide and everything's nice. But our brothers and sisters are going through the great tribulation to them. You know what I mean? To them it's a great tribulation. And I'm trying in my heart because I get so desensitized. I'm, I get desensitized because of all the movies and the... TV and the internet and everything else that we've got around us is desensitizing me to have a feeling and an emotion for that. 
And I'm saying, God, deal with me. This should be breaking our hearts. You know, but we, we feel because it's over there, phew, we're safe. But my question is, what happens if it comes? How many Christians will stand the test? You know, do I, have I talked about this a few times in this church? Yeah, yeah. And it, do you think it's necessary that it be spoken about? Yeah? In China, Corrie ten Boom, all, all these pastors came up to Corrie ten Boom. She was a, a, a missionary and wonderful woman of God. Did some incredible things, protected a whole heap of Jewish people during World War II from Hitler. Um, ended up in a slave camp and, and stuff. Anyway, after, after, she, after World War II, she was, had an ministry, active ministry, traveling ministry. Went to China, and as she was coming, um, as she, while she was there, the pastors, they'd just gone through a terrible, terrible persecution in China. Um, thousands and thousands of Christians were rounded up and tortured and beaten and killed and, and terrible things, like an atrocity beyond y- your understanding you know, of what happened to these Christians. And the pastors came to Corrie and they said, Corrie, sadly we failed. We should have prepared people to go through tribulation and not told them that they'd be raptured before it. If only we'd prepared them, we wouldn't have lost so many during that time because they were recanting, they were giving up the faith as they were getting persecuted, they were giving up the faith. They were turning from Jesus. There was another story. These two Chinese girls are in prison and, and, and with their pastor. And the pastor was brought out and he had been, you know, um, you know, tortured quite a bit and said that if you shoot these two girls that were in your congregation, that they would l- let him go. And the pastor, for some reason, weakened. And he came up and he held a gun and the two girls, they, he said, just recant or else I'm going to have to shoot you. And the girl said, you know, we've sat under your teaching all these years. I would never give up my faith in Jesus Christ. And please don't do this. Don't do this. But put the gun down and join us sort of thing. And the pastor just went, no. And he shot them both in the head to secure his freedom just to live a few more years. And do you know what the uh, the prison guards did? Immediately shot him. Bang. Straight away. They had him. Satan got him exactly where he wanted him. Committing an atrocious crime against, you know, his two uh, members of his congregation. So these things have happened in the world. And, and Jesus says in the last days these things will happen upon the, the church universal everywhere. Now that's not a really encouraging message right now. And I know you've you know, you probably didn't expect a message quite like this to come to church. This is what God's sort of speaking through me at the moment. I've got to flow with what God's saying. Um, I don't always preach on morbid sort of topics, but, you know, it's important, isn't it? Who, who knows it? If you don't hear these messages, if, you, if you've never heard a pastor preach about this sort of stuff, then you're not, you haven't been sitting under true Christian ministry. Like, um, I know in these countries, the, this, is, this sort of message is the most commonly spoken message. 
Their altar calls in these countries are if you are willing to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you will lay your life down for him, if you will take up your cross and follow him, if you will give your life freely and not recount of your faith, then come up here and receive, repent of all your sins and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Has anyone heard an altar call like that in the West? We don't get people saved like that anymore. Yet in the early days, you know, what happened to the early church within a very short space of time? What happened to the early church in, in Jerusalem? A major persecution broke out. How many people were murdered? Or were killed, were murdered? Yeah, how many people were murdered in that major persecution? Who remembers? Was it 5,000? 3,000? 5,000? 5,000 of the earliest Christians were murdered. Straight away, in, at, the, at the outset of the Christian faith. And those that survived were spread out into the country. And guess what they did? They didn't go and hide in a cave. They went out and preached and spread the gospel. And the gospel spread and increased rapidly. Even in the face of martyrdom and persecution. 1 Thessalonians 3.13 Always say to God, God, why do you always give me these hard messages to preach? 3.13, it says, May he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Okay. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. May your whole spirit soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 1, 5-12. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right and as a result you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. He's saying this. He's, these letters were written to churches that were under intense persecution. When you read the Bible, you're reading letters to suffering people. You're reading letters to people that are going through trials and tribulations. People that have been kicked out of their homes, that are on the run, preaching the gospel and getting tortured in prisons at the, you know, for doing it. Thrown in the prison regularly. This is the letters. This is the, there's blood on these pages. You know what I mean? And until we understand the context of Scripture, we, we, don't, we don't read it just to get a little bit of pleasure out of it. We don't read it just to feel good. And you should. You do feel good. You will get joy. But it's not all about that. It's about getting sober. It's about getting, coming into the reality of what Jesus you know, calls us to. That's why Jesus says, if you, if, you are not, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. What context is he taking there? If you do not take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. That means you've got to take up a cross of martyrdom. You've got to take up a cross and say, I am willing to lay my life down for you, Jesus. Do you know what? This church is small for a reason. Because Christians don't want to hear it. Christians don't want to hear it. You would love a five-point sermon on how to motiv get motivated to succeed in life. You know, a lot of Christians would love that message right now. They go to church to hear that message. It's like Tony Robbins with Jesus attached. 
Anyone know Tony Robbins? No? A motivational speaker from America, huge motivational speaker. Or Jim Rowan? No? I know of him. I'm looking at you, I don't know. <laughs> if you don't know him, most people won't. Um, but that's not church. I'm pretty sure they didn't preach that back in the early church. I do preach those sermons from time to time, you know, once every six months, you know, how to do better in life and all that. I love that sort of stuff. I like reading motivational quotes. It's good, you know, when you, you've got to get in, you've got to read those things, you've got to get your mind switched on because you have to go out in the workplace and you have to succeed in life. So you need to, you know, when you're doing that, be the best you can when you're doing that. You know what I mean? And Christians should be exemplary. Christians should do it better than anyone else. Christians should do it more honestly, more justly, provide better service, be more friendly, be more approachable. If they're a manager, be the best manager possible. You know, if they're a worker, they'd be the best worker, most respectful, most, you know. Um, that's how Christians should be. It shouldn't be any other way. So, yeah, study those things. Read up about how to get motivated to live a better life. You know, everything we do, we've got to do it to the best of our ability and we do it to honor God. But God's got to be first. We don't do it to and, and put God last. We should be waking up in the morning and going into the prayer room. We should be reaching out to God. We should be reading our Bibles. We should be focusing on the Scripture because it's through this that we gain eternal life. And in the, at the end of the day, that's what counts. You know, you never know when you might drive off down the road and bang, you're dead. Just like that girl. Just like a, that young guy the other week from the, the couple we know. Yeah, lost their children just like that. Bang. So it's, it's life is like that. This flesh is, is, you know, there's thousands of ways to, it can die. You know what I mean? Life is not, we're not here forever. It's not all about this life. It's really all about the next life. But what you've got to do to understand that is you've got to pre uh, reprogram yourself. You've got to reprogram the way you think. Because we've been conditioned and we've been uh, conditioned to think a certain way according from what we see on the TV every day and what we get on from social media and from all those things that are suggesting all this stuff to us. And they conditioned us to think a certain way. You know what I'm saying? Who knows what I'm saying is true? Anyone with me on this? We're conditioned to think a certain way. It's not the way Jesus would have us think. So we've got to, to become a, a Christian, you've got to re, reprogram the mind. And we've got to get back to, like, okay, what is the mo this is how I think. What's the most important thing there is? Getting past the judgment. Okay, start there and then build back from that and with your eyes focused there. Build your life back from that because the judgment is going to be the most important part. Make sure you pass the judgment. And in every way after that, everything you do, everything you say to people, the way you interact, the way you live your life has got to be in relation to that. Amen? And it does. It changes you. And it makes you a better person. Makes you a better person to so many people out there. You know? When I, 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 I always think when I go into certain shops and I find out, I, um, I know I went into one shop one day and this girl was just miserable and spoke disrespectfully and stuff and and then I managed to say God bless you to her and she goes oh you're a Christian I said yeah I'm a Christian oh so am I I went really <laughs> I never would have known because I thought I'll say that just to maybe bless her and hopefully wake her up to Jesus and here she's claimed to be a Christian yet she was the rudest person 
to deal with. And I'm like, what sort of an example is that? Is that an ambassador for the, for the name? Lucky she doesn't have it pinned on her shirt. I'm a Christian. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So let's be the best we can and, and try to keep our minds focused on what's most important in our life. And I think that's a good... And I got nowhere near through this sermon, so, and I don't think I'll ever finish it if I keep going with it because there's another three or four screens of scriptures. All right, so let's, let's pray. Thank you, God, for this, this time, Lord. Thank you for this message. And, Lord, um, I, felt, I felt you really, really moved through me in a, a very strong way today. And I, I just pray that every heart here will be, um, uh, you would have given that spirit of understanding to um, embrace what was said and not reject it, Lord. I pray that you will give us discernment to understand these things and to look into them further, not to just uh, reject them and walk away from them, but to think, you know, uh, if there's truth here, if there's some basis in reality, then I've got to look into it to make sure that I don't um, reject it without uh, having an understanding of it. So I just pray that your spirit will move with us uh, the rest of this time as a fellowship and that you'll keep us united and, and uh, having a wonderful uh, fellowship time together and I pray that you um, bless everyone here this week cover them all in your precious blood put your angels around them and, and uh, fill them with your Holy Spirit and keep them strong in you through this week and I pray this in your wonderful name Amen.